Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Welcome to part two with the Love Rabbi from the Kosher Love documentary. In this episode, we're featuring my daddy, and we're breaking down belief and culture of Judaism and so much more. Rabbi, welcome. Let's dive in. How many people have you interviewed so far? Probably about 150. All 150 people are all part of your story. They're all stepping stones. They're all part of your divine providence. It's a linear story, and you're the main character. Your dating story has an arc. And if you're aware and you're conscious of it, then when you approach the dating, it doesn't become easy, but it becomes more meaningful. And that's what you want. You want it to be meaningful. The hero should not be pushed around or or forced into anything. And also, the hero can never do it alone. You always need a sidekick. If you think you have all the answers, you're not the hero. The hero has to use their mind and has to use the others, that that their support system, to make it work. And you know what? Marriage works the same way. I call my dad as my support system. Do you think that that's... He's a great example of a long-lasting and loving relationship. That's fantastic. Absolutely. But you need to know. You're the hero. and need to know who your support is. But sometimes I call him because I feel like he handles me the best. And there's a problem with that? I mean, I think my husband wishes that maybe he could talk me off the ledge. (laughs) Maybe you have to give him a chance. It's amazing that 14 years in, I still feel like I need to call my dad. How great is that, that 14 years in, there's still room to grow? I mean, if you had it all figured out by now, then what are you going to do in 40 years from now? That's a good way of looking at it. Who do you call? So first of all, my wife and I, when we first got married, I had I have a bunch of like, I don't know, rules of like marriage. And I thought about these so much. And so right when we got married, I said, we need a therapist. We need a therapist that like knows us and that like when anything come happens, we should just be able to go to them and they get us and we don't have to like explain our whole story to them. And so since the beginning of our marriage, we go for a twice annual checkup, a marriage checkup. Therapist since the beginning, uh, the beginning it was once a month. Then we went to like once every three months. Then now it's twice annual. Even if there's nothing wrong in our relationship, we either go and like sometimes if we have nothing to talk about, that's like a, an issue that that's pressing which is rare that it happens because there's always something, right? Then we'll just say, okay, teach us something. Give us a tool. And it's like, it's great. I mean, he's this really old, like been married also like 50 years and this old like Zadie type of person and just a fantastic individual. And there's different people that we've gone, like we, we, you know, we created a little support system around our relationship and it's so, so important. That's amazing. I have a whole list. If you go online, you can see like, I have a list of like my top 10 dating tips and then my top 10 dip tips for newly engaged couples. And so that's one of my top 10 tips is find yourself someone who you can speak to now so that when things get tough, you know, the person knows you. That's a great tip. Dating tips from the love rabbi. I hate that. Did you get that title? Because somebody did an article about me. It was like a whole expose inside cover of a huge newspaper. And they called me, it was a French article in Montreal and they called me Le Rabin de l'Amour. It doesn't that sound great? Le Rabin de l'Amour. 
someone else translated it and called me the love rabbi because that's what it means. I love so it. Here, this is top 10 for newly engaged couples. Don't tell everyone right away. It's the two of you against the world. Even once you're engaged, don't let your guard down. Don't get into in-law fights. It's not worth it. Don't confide in your friends. It's detrimental to your future. You don't need to know about all of your partner's exes. Be open and honest. Go for premarital counseling. You need a therapist or clergy member that you can be totally open with. And fighting doesn't mean you're not meant for each other. Those are my 10. What are your thoughts on sharing about the exes? If it's important, like obviously you're married 14 years. So whatever, at this point, who cares? Maybe they do care, right? But Maybe you did say important. that you're a culmination of all of those relationships. You are. So what I always say, if you're going to share about an ex, you don't share about the ex by name. You share about them by what you learned from them. Interesting. Because every situation that happens, every conversation, every interaction has something to teach you. If you're able to take a look at that past relationship and say, who am I now? What do I now know that I didn't know before? And then distill that, that lesson. How many days did, did you go on before you married your wife? I didn't know a single thing about relationships before I got married. She was a your single thing. like high school sweetheart, right? Elementary well, sweetheart. Well, not exactly. It's a pretty interesting story. Our story. I decided to drop out of school because I couldn't stand school and went to, to work in Chicago, downtown Chicago at a Jewish community center there and was having the time of my life, loving every minute of it. And my mother called me up one day and said, you're going back to school and I'm sending you to Minnesota, to Yeshiva. So I go to Minnesota. I'm making a long story as short as I can. I was there. I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't really loving it. It wasn't really my cup of tea. I was probably going to leave. But what happened was there were some people that were in the community, in the Jewish community there that had asked if like any of the yeshiva students could study with their kids. Like, and there was one kid. So they asked me like, during your dinner break, would you study with this kid? I'm like, okay, sure. Anyway, we became like best buds. I, I love this kid. It was just, it was just a great, great, like a spunky personality and this really great kid. And we became really close. So I used to go over to his house and, you know, because there were a, a family in the community. Anyway, I left Minnesota. I went to a different school. So it wasn't a good fit for me. I went to a different school, but I still kept up with this kid. So call me almost every Thursday night. Thursday night, he called me, told me he just changed schools. I was all excited. A couple of days later, I'm sitting in the study hall. I was in New Jersey. And somebody runs in to give a phone call. It's my mother. And she's like, I wanted to let you know that this kid, his name is Ellie. He was just hit by a truck walking to <gasps> school and he's in a coma. Oh my God. I didn't even think twice. I'm like, can you, like, I'm going to Minnesota. I'm going to his hospital room. Oh my God. So I didn't even go to school. I just like take me to the airport. I went there. Well, I stayed there for like a month by his bed and he ended up um, being in a coma for 14 months and he passed away. Oh no. And it was just devastating for me. It was, it was just awful. That's the whole horrible. Thing was awful. Yeah. Anyway. So when I had finished yeshiva, this is like, you know, about five years after that, when I finished yeshiva, my mother calls me up and she's like, okay, well, you, you know, you're finished yeshiva, you became a rabbi, it's time to get married, right? You know how like the parents, the Jewish pressure, it's time to get married. And I'm like, no, 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 I've got all these plans. I just come back from, I just come back from, from Australia and I was like going to do this job in, in Ottawa, like, no, I'm, I'm busy. And then she would call me like every other day. Are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? Like no pressure, but are you ready yet? I'm letting my dad in. Okay, dad, he's in the middle of the story. So I'm going to mute you for a second. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, 
So she's like, are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? I'm like, come on, like, you have somebody for me? She's like, yeah, I do have someone for you. So I'm like, okay, who is it? So she says this name and I'm like, okay, fine, I'll date her. And it's this boy's sister. No. Backstory, we had had a number of conversations because I was in the hospital and we were in the hospital together because she had also come. So we had actually had a number of conversations all these years before. And we actually even like had a number of uh, like, like, like illegal conversations, you know, because like we raised this like very religious community and like, you cannot talk. Yay. Right? I, was I a, love it. And Rebel. I was, <laughs> and I was a very, no, but I was also a very serious, I was a good student. I was a very serious student. And I was like, you know, what they call very Hasidish. Like I did wanted to make sure that I did everything by the book. And so at that time, we kind of like made this unspoken thing with each other that we're not going to talk anymore. And that when it's time to date, we'll date each other first. And so wow. then when our parents had kind of independently gotten together and said these two, and then like, there's like 50 people that take credit for putting us together. But really my brother, now my brother-in-law, Ellie, who had passed away, he was the one who put us together. He's our That is a very powerful story. That makes you believe in God right there. I mean, this is the short version. There's a lot more to it, but it's, it's crazy. It's just insane. Like I, if I go through all the details of it, it's pretty crazy. I'm unmuting my dad now. Dad? I'm in. Hey. How you doing, y'all? I'm on with the love rabbi, but he prefers the people rabbi, the people's rabbi. The people's rabbi instead of the love rabbi? Okay. You had me at y'all. <laughs> well, I'm now a Kentucky colonel or a Kentucky butcher. One, one of the two. How's the bourbon? Uh, bourbon's good here in Kentucky. Yeah. But, you know, uh, it's pretty good in Tennessee also. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hear where all the good bourbon is in Kentucky. Definitely good bourbon in Kentucky. I just we, told him all my drama. Well, <laughs> your drama, he's, you're supposed to get his drama. You got it backwards. He's into the spirit of sharing. I think that's very important. Remember, those that are good listeners will learn a lot more than those that just spout off. Mic drop. <laughs> can, I, can I adopt you also? Can you also be my dad? If it doesn't cost me too much extra, you got a deal. <laughs> I heard you change diapers sometimes. If there's no one else in the room, I definitely, uh, I'm up against the wall. I have no choice. <laughs> but isn't the beautiful thing about grandkids, I don't get that relationship. I'm like, this is not the person who raised me. But isn't the great thing about grandkids is like, you just play with them and give them back? Well, the funny part is, is that I had a very deep relationship with my grandparents and with Maureen's grandparents and with grandparents in general. And what I was able to get out of grandparents was not only did we do a lot of things together, but I was able to hear their history and their stories that might have been 50 years, 75 years, 100 years old. And I found that to be fascinating to be able to get a history through a live message rather than just reading a book. That's amazing. One of the things that Irina and I have been talking about over the course of the past hour and a half that we've been here chatting is that we have a generation that's narcissistic and we're having a lot of trouble. And here you have something that somehow has to be translated to this new generation. What's your advice? I mean, I'm sure you know what's going on in the world. What's your advice to this narcissistic generation of how to actually be in and sustain a long lasting relationship? Well, number one, you have to be able to open yourself up to where you're willing to share your most inner self. A lot of people are not willing to do that. And a lot of people don't even know how to do it. And the sad part is you have people 
out there right now where they're thinking of themselves and what they can get out of it and don't even understand that in order to really get further in life, you have to be able to spread your network and help other people. God put us on this earth to be able to be part of something, not just satisfy our own materialistic or physical needs. He was hoping that we could mature and grow into an item that's bigger than ourselves. And a lot of people don't give a darn about anyone but themselves, so they're just a single cell. And when you're just a single cell and you can't multiply, we're getting short-circuited in this generation because you don't have that camaraderie that loyalty, that dedication to other people like you should. Since I'm your kid now, you know, I'm sure there was moments with mom that, that weren't so easy when, when it was tough, when you didn't agree, when you didn't see things eye to eye. You kidding? I never agreed at all, mostly. I was so how did you do it? thought I was the smartest one in the room. But I learned from an early age, still, even with all the yelling and shouting, and I worked with my parents. I had family with my parents. I did everything. And after a while, as you grow and some of your rawness wears off, you find that, that you're not the wisest person in the room. And if you find out, actually, that the experience of your parents and your parents' parents It doesn't matter the education uh, university they went to, but the experience that they have in life is unbelievable. And the fact is, is that I also learned that the bottom line is that you still respect and honor your parents. Just like uh, I told my daughter that when I've been dealing business with customers, the customer is always right, especially when they're wrong. It's our job to correct and make it right if it is off a little bit. That's the funny part of this whole story is that everybody in this generation wants to be given respect and to be given the benefit of the doubt that they know what they're doing instead of the other way around, that they should be respecting certain institutions and certain people's experience and going the extra mile to get, try to get along with them, get something out of it and be able to prove that you're worthy of whatever subject that you're bringing up or whatever recommendation you're making and prove that it works first, rather than just saying that we know better. The entitled generation. Right. And every commercial on TV, you have a a darn lawyer out there saying, get what you deserve, or an insurance (laughs) company telling you, get what you deserve. Everybody wants to get what they deserve, and they don't realize it could be just shit on a stick is what they deserve. (laughs) And where money's become the ends instead of the means. That's right. And money is only a tool. It can be used for destruction, and it can be used for very good causes. But the tool of money can be just as destructive as putting a gun in somebody's hand. And they can actually do more harm to themselves and society by making the wrong decisions with that tool. Just like giving someone a gun. It's not the gun that kills people. It's the person who loads it and shoots it that's gone bananas is the person that is using that as a tool of destruction. Absolutely. You're the main character in your own story. That's what it is. That's Take right. Take responsibility. You're getting it. That's right. Accountability and responsibility is a very difficult thing for a lot of people to accept. They much rather blame someone else or blame different circumstances of why they didn't succeed. Otherwise, we have to look in the mirror and face reality. Even when we got back to the story of Cain and Abel, he was blaming God for favoring Abel. That look what you made me do. You made me kill my own brother because you made me feel like shit. He didn't even take responsibility for killing his brother. 
Absolutely. Isn't that every kid's story? He made me do it. He made me do it. That son of a gun. <laughs> he made me do it. It's not my <laughs> fault. I only killed him because exactly. he was making me feel terrible and bad, and it's your fault. Imagine. This is how got rid of a started. quarter of the world, just like that. Right. And this is, this is how this world started. But remember, God knows what he's doing. The experiment of mankind is he gave us the freedom of choice. But it's not always where we're going to make the right choice. We're supposed to learn from our choices and be able to pick out the best choice after a period of time. And who's to say that it has to happen even in one generation? It could be an accumulation of generations and generations and generations before we really get it right. I don't know fully, the Earth's got to circle the sun, how many times before we are supposed to get it right. Kind of crazy, the, right? The problem is, is that if we're going to constantly blame others, then you wonder why 40-year-olds are still 15 years old, because they haven't grown, they haven't developed, they haven't learned from their mistakes, because they're constantly blaming someone else for their mistakes. Then you can never learn. That's right. And remember, we learn more from our mistakes or the things that we fail at than we do when we succeed. And some people, when they succeed, they get so damn cocky that they don't realize that they were fortunate at the time. And if they don't watch all the variables on the next adventure, they can even lose more than what they won originally. Wow. How's them apples? Wow. Them apples are from the tree of knowledge. And the funny part is, is that Eve, who was tempted by a snake, to eat from the tree of knowledge, but wasn't it really part of the master plan is to test our choices. If we have a choice to eat from it, it's hard for us not to take temptation. It takes a development of maybe thousands and thousands of generations before we will fail and let the temptation pass. We're very primitive in many ways. Look how many people need that extra drink, that extra smoke, that extra drug. To feel good. We're there again, just looking for a physical high rather than facing the development stage, is which is what God really wants us all to do. Do you think mom made you a better person? My wife? Well, in order for me to be able to fulfill my destiny of having children and keeping the continuum going, she's my better half, as my grandfather you, would say. I have no choice yeah. but to make sure that she rounds me out. But do you think she made you a better person? In some ways, yes. I think that level of tolerance develops when you have to live with someone else that's a lot like you in some ways, but very, very, very different in other ways. So uh, my marriage, I've had to work at every day because I have big ups and downs with it. But we're married now 42 years and we were dating and going out for as much as 45 years. Where did all the time go when uh, we have to work on it so diligently every day. And yet I'm probably giving the same assessment when we're married 60 or 70 years. Wow. And a lot of marriages fail after a year or seven years, that seven year itch story. And a lot of marriages fail even after the children grow up. And a lot of them fail when one wants to retire and the other one wants to keep working. There are so many reasons or stumbling blocks that can occur. And if you let it trip you up, that's where a lot of the divorces occur. But you're supposed oh. to be able to walk around whatever barriers are in your way and still be able to work on it when you get married and you get committed, especially that's what the example of the Jewish people are supposed to be showing the world. And yet Jewish people get divorced like anybody else. Uh, there are some of the biggest crooks that I know as well, and they're supposed to be showing the guiding light of how people are supposed to treat people and, in business and, and have compassion 
for other people and do mitzvahs and help people. And yet I know Jewish people that are worse than the Goyim. Tell me if you've heard this joke before. You know the difference between a Jew and an anti-Semite? What's the difference? An anti-Semite says, I hate all the Jews. But what about Goldstein, your doctor? That guy is incredible. He's amazing. <laughs> he's wonderful. What about uh, your lawyer? Uh, um, um, yeah, oh, he's amazing. Salt of the earth guy. The Jew says, I love all the Jews. What about Goldstein? Ah, crook, a criminal, a terrible, what a guy. <laughs> what about this other guy? Ah, what a disgusting human being, despicable person. That's good. Isn't that funny? I, I, <laughs> it's, I was talking it's, to, it's hilarious. <laughs> I was talking because to Rina before. What you're saying yeah. is so true is that we stereotype when none of it applies. Yeah. And yet we do it all the time. So, so true. I was talking to Rena before. Do you think that you or your wife ever held each other back from being a better person and you made compromise for each other at your own expense? Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure that's part of the equation. And how do you still uh, stay married? Because of the commitment. And if you are looking beyond yourself and you want to have some type of example for the future, you have to set the example of the future. And if you uh, want to live with hypocrisy and you want to give up on the decision that you made at the time, you'll be giving up on different things your whole life. Now, sometimes you have no choice. Certain business enterprises don't work out. But the fact is, is that you want to know, at least in my case, I want to know that I went through life giving it the very best that I could at whatever I did and that I didn't quit at anything. Just like that. I mean, there's no scenario that's 100% perfect. But if you want to set the right example for your children, you have to show that a marriage is a working relationship and there's going to be highs and lows no matter what. And you have to do your 1000% best to work it out before you destroy something that is the decision that you made. And once children are involved, I think it's very, very difficult to negate that commitment that you made to another person. Very tough. You know, I even asked uh, Maureen's grandparents, I said, so you guys must have been madly in love that you're married 70 years. And they says, well, we certainly had our ups and downs also, but I wouldn't say we were madly in love with each other. They said to me that uh, we were good partners throughout life, but that fairy tale, I don't know if that's really what we had. And I found that to be a very interesting analysis. A couple that was married 60 years once told me that if you want a fairy tale relationship, then you're gonna get a two hour relationship because that's how long the movies are. The beginning, middle and end in two hours. So if you want a two hour relationship, that's what you're going to get. I that's agree with that. I think that's a good analysis. Do you think that you or your wife gave up a part of yourself as an individual in order to stay in the relationship? Like you could have become something greater or you could have been out there and made something greater of yourself, but you kind of held back for the sake of the family and for the sake of the relationship. Uh, I don't think I had to make that large of a sacrifice. I really have been able to do just about everything and anything that I wanted to do with my life. And the fact is, is that I feel like even that I'll be 65 in a couple of days, that as long as I have my health, that I can pivot and learn and be part of doing anything that I want. I don't, I don't think there's anything out there that I can't do if I, if I want to. I believe that everyone is capable of rising to the occasion and being able to reach for the stars, whether you're 21, 65, or 109. You're my new hero. Thank you. Better call daddy. And, uh, <laughs> and I think that you'll love the show. Listen to a couple of the episodes. Uh, you got some extra wisdom tonight, but 
We give a little bit of wisdom for about five minutes uh, after each show. And I think my wisdom rating is going up. So uh, <laughs> I really appreciate the call. All right. It was great. Uh, I hope that you find what you're looking for. Catch you later. He's amazing. Yeah. Sorry for taking over your podcast. <laughs> I loved it. I actually feel like I have not gotten that out of him. That was good. Well, yeah. it was based on our conversation before. Like I wanted to know what he, what, what advice would he give to you with your dilemma that's, that you're going through now? What's really interesting about that is he talks to me differently than he talked to you. So he said it differently than he would, you know, to me. My wife and I always say that one of the greatest gifts that we can give to our kids is the ability for them to fail under our roof and learn from their mistakes so they don't have to do it in the real world. I think that a lot of parents, they want to rescue their kids and they want to like make the choices for them and give them the advice. But I think as a parent, the best thing we can do is allow our kids to fail and wait for those teachable moments and go, aha, yes, see, beautiful. And then they can make the small choices, the small mistakes, and you can help at least guide them through those small mistakes so they don't have to make the big ones later, or hopefully. You're doing good. Don't get into your head too much. You're doing amazing. And the most greatest value that you can teach them is the value of action. And forgiveness. When my son said to me, it's amazing to see that people can't be mean when you do something nice. That was so powerful for me. Wow. Yeah. How old is he? <laughs> he just had his bar mitzvah. I truly believe that Hashem trusts parents with the kids that he gives them. That scares me. <laughs> no, but but it but it is really true. And look at what you've been able to the choices you've made and what you've been able to provide for your kids. They need you. I feel like I'm failing every day as a parent. Stop. You're, you're in your head too much. I hear stories because I love stories and I love people. I hear a lot of stories. You are you are both. I'm sure that it's both of you. You're both doing an amazing job. I couldn't do this with anyone else, really. I never even thought I was going to have kids. I literally was that kid and my husband. We both yelled at our parents saying we're never going to have kids. Your kids are very lucky to have you as parents. Thank you. I'm totally overwhelmed. What's crazy though is like my husband was in the PhD program at Berkeley and you know I produced the Jerry Springer show. So obviously we are both rebels, you know? We're going to have children that beat their own drum. And good. Why not? Yeah. yeah. There's, there is a lot of hypocrisy though. And, you know, I called it out in my parents and my kids are calling it out in us. They're like, you know, why, sh why should, like, why should he have to dive in when my husband doesn't dive in? Why should he have to go to Shul when I'm bored by Shul? Like, that's why I've tried to change Purim to make that more meaningful. I pass over, like I said, we make like two uh, tablecloths into the sea and the kids run through it and they look forward to that every year. And it's amazing. Like actually the more kids we've thrown into that mix, all of them love that. And it all has been from things that we've picked up along the way that have made it fun for us or that we related to on some sort of level. Just keep it highly positive. That's what you're doing. Every experience, highly positive, and you're good. We live in a world that needs just authentic truth. Authentic. Oh, yeah. This is who I am. This is who I am. I I'm not perfect. I I'm not the show going type. I may not be praying every day. I may not be, but, but this is who I am. And this is what you're going to get. And, and, and I'm not trying to prove to you that I am somebody I'm not. One of the most beautiful ceremonies that I think in the Jewish world is the veiling ceremony at the chuppah. I love that too. And the veiling ceremony on a Kabbalistic level is where the groom looks at the bride and says, I am marrying you for who you are on the inside, not just who you are on the outside. I do think that that's kind of where people go wrong in dating. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> 
I mean, honestly, that's why I was broadening my search on J-Date outside of LA. Like I was able to go out with plenty of guys in LA, but they were so superficial. Like that is fun. Like you said, for about two hours and another really good way to weed guys out was like, Hey, so what do you think about having a Shabbos meal? 90% of guys on J-Date will not be interested in that. As we say in French, quel surprise. I'm not shocked. I was. Like, wouldn't even entertain it. They were like, nope, not interested. I set up 24 dates this week. That's insane. Wow. Insane. I set up a lot of dates. My highest success rate is with blind dates, where I say, tell me everything you're looking for. Let's have a conversation. And then trust me, I don't even give them the name, just the number. That's it. You got to call her. This is her number. You don't know anything about her, not even her name. Like, what's your name? Oh, I love that. Because then you can't spend three days figuring out why it's not going to work out. Because that's what everyone does. Because we're trying to protect ourselves, right? You know, so you like, you know, everyone's has their story and their narrative and they figure out for three days, they're like, it's not going to work out because of this and this and this. And you, and you, you, you search them up on Facebook or wherever else you're searching them up. And you're like, oh no, this is not for me, but I'll just do it. because whatever the rabbi, you know, I'm not going to let him down. Okay, fine. And this way you start off with like, what's your name? There's no oh preconceived, God. there's nothing. And I always say, look, I'm not going to set you up with a serial, a serial killer. Like it's going to be a, a good person. I just don't know if the chemistry is good. Like it's someone who meets your criteria, who meets your non-negotiables. I just can't tell you about chemistry. That's going to be up to you. And that kind of immediate, like create, it automatically creates sparks. It automatically creates a lot of that chemistry because it's the unknown and mystery, mystery creates chemistry. I love that. So you don't show them each other's picture at all. Nothing, nothing, not a name, not a picture, not a nothing. That's so smart. The picture I think of, might mess things up. A lot of people won't take me up on it. Oh my God, that is if so I can tell good. You, my success rate is like over 80% on blind dates. Wow. Oh yeah, I don't believe it's a talent. I believe it's a skill. I'll, I'll teach it to you. Oh my God, I would love to be able to do that. You know, my sister yeah. actually, I think match made a couple people for Saw You at Sinai. Yeah. I should actually put you in touch with her because she has a lot of singles over and she's in Ramat Beit Shemesh. Sure. Maybe she'll know more people for you. My next thing is I want to start cloning matchmakers. Like I want to teach the, the skill of matchmaking to people who really care about the future of the Jewish people and the future of marriage. And people need to do it. We need more people out there who care, but who people who know what they're doing. Not, you know, there's one thing about being wanting to do it. And there's a lot of really well-intentioned, well-meaning people, but a lot of them actually sabotage the relationships because they don't know what they're doing. It's God's work. It's really God's work. So it says in yeah. the Talmud. Yeah. It's what God does, matchmakes. And then all of a sudden the millionaire matchmaker happened. And then it was like, oh my gosh, I could charge $30,000. And these people are actually going to pay it because I'm a headhunter. I'm a vendor now. That's come on. Who are you fooling? Like if, if that's, that's not what it's about. We live in a real world. We're wholesome people. We have integrity and and we wanted to. I was know, like, if I can match make a Kohen, like I definitely go up a spiritual notch. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, I don't know who's made up the thing about three matches going to heaven. I've never seen a source for it. But if you do find the source for it, I'll give you a gift. You know what <laughs> the gift is? I'll give you one of my go to heaven free passes because I got a lot of them. <laughs> That's awesome. How many people have you match made? That I know of, I'm at 74 right now. And I mean, I don't because I match make secular people and I never find out. Like I was walking down the street a couple of years ago and I met a couple and I'm like, oh, nice to see you guys. Like I matched them up. Like, oh, nice to see you. Yeah, yeah, we just got married. I'm like, oh, thanks for inviting me. 
you're going around, everyone's like, what's the first question they ask you? How do you meet? Oh, it wouldn't it be nice to tell the per instead of telling everybody else your story, tell the person who actually set you up how you that you're actually engaged. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. You could do a whole movie about all the people you've put together. Yeah. What is next for you? Okay, you've you've got a part two of Kosher Love. You've written a book. I've just you've... turned down a Netflix show. What? Why? Yeah. Because I have integrity and they wanted me to be sensational and I wasn't mm. interested. I mean, they're like, we're going to make you famous. I'm like, sorry, it's not as exciting as, as you really? think it is. I'm, I'm writing two books now. One is almost done, which is what, um, you know, why bother getting married, which is my case for marriage in the 21st century, which is more for like a broader audience. And I am doing another book called Conscious Dating, where I want to teach the religious community how to date. That's fantastic. Wow, that's a big So I've back. actually, with all of now my, I've, I've spent so much time coaching and matchmaking. I, I, I have so much on the ground experience and I've seen so much that I've actually turned it into a system. Like, you know, like how I explained yeah. to you. Like the Good three for you for you systematizing. Have. That's hard to do. It's very hard to do. What I'm doing now is I'm doing these cohorts of separate men and women, because for a lot of reasons, also to be able to, to appeal to the more religious crowd and teaching singles how to date and how to be confident in their dating and how to know what's right and wrong in their dating. And what's happening as a result of these cohorts is I'm now taking all of my past experience, the systematization, the success of the cohorts and turning it into a book. There, there's three things we have to do. We have to be matchmaking. More people need to be interested in matchmaking and know how to matchmake. We need to educate our singles to believe in marriage again. And we have to educate our matchmakers to be able to have the skills of matchmaking it. Like I really believe, and we need as many people as possible to be doing this. I love your mission. Do you have other matchmakers? Yeah, yeah. I've trained uh, 16 matchmakers now. That's amazing. Yeah much and I'm learning new things whenever I think that I know it all I'm like uh -uh. there's always something new always love it <laughs> this was such a pleasure I really needed to talk to you thank you thank you for for creating this space it's an amazing space thanks for listening to the better call daddy show now you can subscribe on apple podcasts google play spotify iHeartRadio, and tune in if you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Better Call Daddy.